0: And a reminder that this is a podcast about preserving, preserving, and strengthening families. We do want to give tools, and we do want to share ideas that can help families and to help individuals and couples to strengthen their relationships. Last week, we talked about red flags in relationships and how we should look for those signs, you know, along the way. And and uh, we know that was a little bit heavy today. We want to get into the exact opposite. We want to flip it and talk about how do you know if you're in love? Our intent is to focus first on those who are of marrying age, right? And we want to focus on that group, but also parents. We want we want parents to have some tools and to be able to have the resources so that when they sit with their children and talk about and help them assess if they're in love with someone that they'll have a way to navigate that.
1: Yeah, I think as and also as we were talking and going through, I thought it was really good for all of us who are already married to maybe go back and look and say, oh, are we still sacrificing for each other? Are we still best friends? You know, are we still, oh, we need to beef that that part of our relationship up. It was just kind of a good reminder for all of us that are entering marriage or are married can trying to continue to keep our marriage alive and, and loving and kind of go still growing in that in that way i
0: think Janie, i think that's such a great point I'll, I'll share often in marriage you know in counseling when couples come in and they have a lot of problems one of my favorite things to do with them is to say hey wait just stop for a minute tell me how you guys met mm. and it's so fun to watch their whole countenance change <laughs> from hostile to and then they go back and they start to think about those early days together.
1: What brought them together? And yeah. What made them fall in love. That's yeah. A good idea. yeah. Yeah. What
0: you know? What we're, you know? They're reminding each other of why they w- did fall in love in the first place, and it's really cool.
1: Yeah. And my last thought about preserving and strengthening families is: here we are trying to create brand new families, and I think starting with a good foundation, with good tools, with a good healthy you know, built on a good, healthy foundation right. is very important and pivotal for preserving and strengthening families to start, hell, start off on the right foot, right? Start off healthy.
0: Yeah, I totally believe that. I think that's good counsel. And so we're going to talk about love today. And how do you know if you're in love with someone? Love is really hard to define. I think if you were to go on the street and start interviewing some people and say, give me a definition of love, I think people would struggle with that. Um, I remember that great story of Elder Boyd K. Packer on the airplane and he's with an atheist and the atheist is telling Elder Packer that you cannot know that there's a God. There's no way you can know that and Elder Packer has this inspiration to ask him what salt tastes like and you can't use the word salt and so he tries to, the atheist tries to describe that he really can't and Elder Packer goes on to say, well, I've tasted salt, using that as a metaphor for I know who God is and that he's real and that, and that he lives. But I think the same principle applies to love. I think, like describing what salt tastes like without using the word salt, how do you describe what love is without using the word love? A few years ago, they did a study, some researchers conducted a study at a large university in the Pacific Northwest, and they asked the question, that very question of what love is, no one could really define it. it. People did not agree on what love was. And I love what, well, I, I like what one person said uh, in the study that you were able to write some comments. And this person wrote that love is like lightning. You may not know what it is, but when it hits you, you'll know. And I, I think of my own self, Janie, with you, where I don't know if I could have ever defined love, but I knew that I was in love with you. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It's hard to Explain how you how you feel love, or how we each feel love, or how we know that it's love, right? But we do kind of have an idea of what constitutes love, and it makes me think of like in First Corinthians chapter thirteen, where you know it says, "Love is kind. Love envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave unseemly. Seeketh not our own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil." You know, there's all those those things that we've been taught that true love really is. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but in truth, that beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Right? Yeah. Charity never faileth, or love never faileth. And so hopefully our relationships are built on those kind of foundations. And I'm excited because we're going to talk about a lot of those today.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a great quote from one of our church leaders years ago who said that, you know, love is honest and it's having self respect, and there's the element of sacrifice and consideration and courtesy and kindness. You know and
1: placing we ahead of me. I like that.
0: Right. And, and you know when you say that, I just listened to a podcast this week myself that where the author just tried to define love by saying it's just really when you love someone else with no strings attached. you know, you're, you're not even expecting anything back, you know. I think in our LDS uh, theology, there's been teachings along the way. That have really been really helpful. President Sister Hinckley were wonderful in helping us understand the true nature of love. In fact, I love this statement from President Hinckley that I'm satisfied that a happy marriage is not so much a matter of romance as it is an anxious concern for the comfort and the well-being of one's companion and that selfishness is the antithesis or the opposite of love.
1: (laughs) I love the Hinckley. Sister Hinckley is one of my heroes and one of my favorite things she said in an interview when people are asking how she decided to marry Gordon, and she said, you know what, When I loved a lot of qualities about him, but I realized that if I married him, that I would always come second because I knew that God would always come first with him. And she said, I was okay with that. And I just thought that was so cool that she knew that they were still going to be in love and he would, you know, put her... Put her second, but only behind God, and that was—I just thought that was such a special thing that they had.
0: Yeah, and I and I believe that that is actually so incredible because with God first, now President Hinckley's capacity to love Sister Hinckley increases even more.
1: Yeah,
0: you know that when when we try to go around God and love a spouse first. And God later, it doesn't work out real well. God is the source of love. He is love. And so if we can connect ourselves to him by keeping his commandments, by covenants that we keep, by trying to trying to become like him, our ability to love others increases drastically.
1: <laughs> we actually had a daughter come home one time from Young Women, and they were having a lesson on marriage. And, right. And her Young Woman leader said... Have, all of you need to find a man who worships you and puts you first. <laughs> and when she told us that, we were kind of like, eh, worships you first. over. God. I don't know if that's such a healthy thing. <laughs> we had a discussion about so that. We had a little that. discussion about that. But, you know, and I, but I love Sister Hinckley's views. As long as he's God's first, that's great. And then I come second, I'm good with that.
0: <laughs> I love that too. There's another part of our theology that I think is really significant. And that is the idea that love lasts for eternity.
1: And continues to grow. Right. And I know. it's It breaks my heart when you hear of other theologies and religions and people who think they believe in a heaven and they believe that we're all going to be there together in heaven, but they don't believe that we're going to be married in heaven or right. be in families forever. And that's so sad because there's so many people who – love and adore and are so loyal and faithful deeply to their love sp- mm-hmm. you know to their spouse and to their family but how does that just end because we go to heaven that's heartbreaking to me and i'm just so grateful for our theology for the prophet joseph smith restoring that knowledge to us of the plan of salvation that we you know the great plan of happiness that we will be together forever that we can continue that our relationships like we have here and our our love and our family unity forever
0: yeah. I love that, and there's even more depth to it. Let me share this with you from George Q. Cannon, where he said that we believe that when a man and woman are united as husband and wife, and they love each other, and their hearts and feelings are one, then that love is as enduring as eternity itself, and that when death overtakes them, it will neither extinguish nor cool that love, but it'll, it will brighten and kindle it into a pure flame and that will, it will endure through eternity. You know, Elder Richard G. Scott used to talk about that concept quite a bit. He almost made it, even though his wife, Janine, had uh, died many years earlier. He would sometimes talk in general conference as if she was right there with him. But the idea is that love is always growing, that it's always increasing, that the trajectory for love is building, growing, momentum, crescendo. That doesn't mean that there aren't you know, dips along the way, and, and, and <laughs> or
1: hard days, or yeah. hard moments, or arguments, yeah. or, or days where you are like, I don't know
0: if I want to be married today anymore. <laughs> but you bounce back the next day, and you are okay. But but overall, the trajectory is increasing, and it's building, and it's growing, not only in eternity. So when I die, Janie, and meet you, whoever whoever, whoever dies first, <laughs> but we will find out. As Elder Richard, Elder Scott used to say, that not only is our love still intact, but that it has grown. Mm. And I often tell my students to look for that pattern on this life. In other words, okay, do you love this person more now than you did a few months ago? And when they say yes, that's a great sign. And I remember a few years ago asking a student that question. He was really struggling and he came to talk to me in my office and and I said, "Look, do you love her right now more than you did, you know, 3 or 4 months ago?" And he said, "No."
1: Mm.
0: And I said, "Okay. That's not a good that's sign." That's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem, right? <laughs> And, um, and uh, you know, it's actually a great story because he ends up breaking up with this girl. And then I see him in St. George two years later and, uh, just by chance. And, and he, and I said, Hey, whatever happened? And he said, actually, we're married. He needed a break. He needed to figure it out. He didn't realize that's who he wanted to be with. But everyone look for that pattern. True love is growing and its building, not just with our spouses, but even with our children and grandchildren.
1: In all relationships in our life, right, should be progressing and strengthening.
0: Yeah, and growing like that. Here's another perspective on love that I think we get from our from our theology, and that's that the love is limitless, right? I mean, love is there is no limit to how deeply and how many people we can love
1: because God is love, right? (laughs) He's the source. He's the the source. Yeah, Um, we got this a lot. You know, we had eight children. And living in, out in the mission field in Texas, people would look at us like we were nuts anytime we'd go anywhere all together. <laughs> we were like a circus show anytime we walked into a grocery store. <laughs> Which I'm sure a lot of you can relate to, but we would get questions all the time. Like, how how can you love that many children? How do you give them enough time and attention? And And I can't speak about the time and attention part, but I know that we could definitely love each one of them because love multiplies. Love does not divide. And so the more people that you love in your life the more love you have in your heart the more people that you can love and the more children you have the more love in your family and there's more love for each other to give each other and more of attention and more you know more people that love you all Mm -hmm. and so i love that principle and and i know I I hear like young moms all the time after they have their first baby. They think, oh, how could I have another one? I don't know if I could love another one as much as I love this one. Right. But I promise you do. Yeah. (laughs) And because, again, love multiplies. Love does not divide.
0: and, And since God is the source of love, I always tell my students, I can love eight children in an incredible way. I can also love 24 grandchildren. I can love ward members and neighbors and extended family. I can love members of my stake. I can love 300 students every semester. God, since God is the source, there's no limit to it. And I just think that's an incredible insight for all of us. There is no limit to love. Mm. Okay. We got a little sidetracked there, but we, uh, we definitely love this topic. And so let's talk about now indicators, you know, once again, maybe it's hard to define love, But we can at least identify the elements of love or some of the indicators that you could be in love. And so in a list of 10, the first one we identify is chemistry. And this is the connection that you enjoy together. This is where you find someone that you can just talk with with ease. You can be yourself. It becomes natural. Uh, You feel very comfortable around each other. And Janie, I remember one of the greatest compliments I think I was ever given by your parents is they said, you know, you're the first guy that we've ever seen Janie with that she actually just acted like herself.
1: (laughs) I thought, okay, yes, we're getting somewhere. Right. It's Mm. it's that whole feeling of just kind of almost coming home, like a feeling just so at ease and just so comfortable with each other, yeah, right? Yeah, I love that chemistry. That just reminds me of yesterday. I was sitting at a table with several of our children, and one of our son-in-laws asked our two daughters, who are twins, Madison and Mackenzie, and their husbands, James and Jared, who were sitting at the table. So how did you guys meet? It was kind of a funny story because James and Jared were friends.
0: Well, they were, weren't they roommates?
1: I think at I one point, but yeah. they were really good friends. And when they met, Maddie and Kenzie... On the same night, Mm -hmm. (laughs) our son-in-law Austin was saying, how did you pick who, you know, who dated who or who was attracted to who? And it was funny to kind of hear them. They were just attracted to the right person. You know, Jared. There was a connection, right? Which is kind of what we're talking about, that chemistry. Kenzie immediately or Jared immediately was kind of drawn to Kenzie and James was kind of drawn to Maddie. And so... It's just interesting how you, you know, there's that connection.
0: Just how it worked out that way. Yeah.
1: Which also leads us to number two, attraction, which is kind of the same thing that Jared saw Maddie or Jared saw Mackenzie (laughs) playing basketball and thought, oh, she looks like a cool, fun girl. And I'm sure James, you know, felt the same way about Maddie. And so attraction is more than just the physical attributes, right? Of course, they thought they were cute right off the bat. But then, when you kind of start talking to them, you're you're attracted to their personality, their drive, their ambition, their sense of humor, things like that. It kind of comes with the whole package. So number two is attraction in but, all different areas.
0: And I remember that Janie with us. I remember, you know, of course, I was attracted to you physically, but I was, I was really attracted to your commitment to the gospel and your your love for family. And I knew that I knew that you were going to be an awesome mom one day. I mean, I just knew that from being around you, and I was. I was really attracted to that, not, you know, so yeah. Okay. Nice. Number three, affection. So when affection's appropriate, we should feel drawn towards each other uh, romantically. You want that affection to be there. And uh, if that's in the proper bounds, you know what? There should be some kind of, we'll go back and use the word chemistry again. But if, but if there's kissing and hugging and some kind of appropriate affection and you're, and, uh, and that, you know, lights your fire, so to speak, and you feel this, this deep connection, then that affection is really good and it's healthy. I mean, you want to be with someone that you can be affectionate with.
1: Yeah. As you're heading into, yeah, marriage, (laughs) you definitely want that, right? Okay. So the number four is friendship. I think, you know, you're falling in love when that, when that person that you're dating becomes your best friend, when you'd rather hang out with them than anyone else. I mean, I noticed that with our kids is when they kind of let their girlfriends kind of, fall away and they were focusing more on their, their fiance or their, their boyfriend that they were dating. (laughs) And then you're like, well, yep, they've arrived. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. They're going
0: down. Right.
1: But I, yeah. And you just can share anything. You can talk about anything. You literally are best friends. I think that's a huge, a huge step. One of my favorite quotes I
0: heard a long time ago. I think we even had it hanging on our refrigerator at one time was that happiness is marrying your best friend. I remember Janie when we were dating seriously and this was kind of an indicator to me that okay I think I think we're going to be getting married at some point even though I, you didn't know that but my one of my best friends for my mission invited me to go deer hunting with him with him for a week on horseback in the mountains of Utah which is something I would have loved to have done but I remember thinking I don't want to leave her I don't want to be away from her for a week and so I made up some great story about uh, having uh, schoolwork and, you know, some homework and projects due, and I just couldn't get away. And But the truth is, is I, I just didn't want to be away from you for that long. And then I remember thinking, wait a minute, what's happening to me here, right?
1: <laughs> Aw, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: another one. Let me interject this one. A few years ago, I was visiting with a couple. They were really struggling. Both had graduated from school They were still dating. They dated. This is one of those relationships where they dated two or three different times, and it always ended. And they were really trying to make it work, but this guy he just wasn't feeling it. And I know he wanted to feel it. And I asked him just a couple of questions, and some of them come from this list. But I, I said, "Are you attracted to her?" And he said, "Not really." I was like, "What? You're kidding me?" Because they they were engaged at this point, and they were getting married like in a couple months. He said he wasn't really attracted to her. And I said, is she your best friend? Like, would you rather be with her than anyone else? And he said, not really. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, okay, if you guys are getting married, this is not going to last. You know, and they got married. And I have no idea what happened to this day. But I can't think of a worse way to start off a marriage than, mm. okay, I'm not really attracted to you. I don't think I love you that much.
1: <laughs> we don't like and to I, don't, out. <laughs> I don't like
0: talking to you that much. So let's get married oh, anyway.
1: Sad.
0: Number five. And I love this one, happiness. And I remember, well, let's develop this just for a second. You know, does that relationship, does the relationship bring happiness and joy to your life? And are you looking forward to being together with with a life of hope and happiness? What I am remembering here is a counseling setting a few years ago where this girl was older. She was probably pushing 30, but she was dating someone that her parents were really not thrilled about. And I remember in this session with the dad, the mom, and this girl. And the dad said, tell me why you want to marry this guy. And and he used these words. He goes, sell me on it. Sell me on it. And after she gave a few explanations, the, the, the dad said, here's what I'm seeing. You are not happy with this person. You look miserable. It looks like you're trying to make something work. And she just broke down and started to cry because she knew that was true. She wasn't happy. And that's this is one of the things I'm looking for in my children. When they come to us and tell us that they want to marry someone, the first thing I'm looking for is, are they happy? Because if they're happy, I can get behind it.
1: Right. And I, I love one of our daughters and her fiance, as they were getting ready and talking about marriage, that was their whole thing is they're like, why this should be the happiest times of our life. Right. And they saw other couples around them. That was just, Filled with stress and angst and ooh and this and problems and issues with parents and friends. And, and their philosophy is like, no, this just should be the grandest, most fun, joyous time of our life. And I love that attitude that they had. And yeah, they are still happily married. <laughs> They're happy today. <laughs> so yeah, as we talk about happiness, let's jump into faith was number six. Our relationships need to be marked by faith, not fear. Yeah. And I sadly see that in this generation. They're so fearful. And I don't know if they've seen so much divorce and bad things happening in people's relationships. But they're almost paralyzed by fear. And I feel like if all these things are in order that we're talking about, if you love each other, if you're best friends, if you both love God and the Savior and you're being you're good people. There's chemistry. You're there's attracted chemistry. to each other. Yeah, that all these things you should be going forward. And if you're happy in your relationship, then have the faith to go forward and that you can make it work.
0: (laughs) Well, and what I see a lot is uh, with our students at BYU is that sometimes they've made this so complex, you know, it's, yeah, there's so much drama to the relationship. There's breaking up and coming back together. And it's so hard. And I,
1: because someone's fearful, someone's got angst. Yeah. Yeah. For
0: whatever reason. And I'll try to tell them, you know what? I don't think this is supposed to be that hard. You may want to look for someone where it's relatively easy. I mean, we're all going to have problems and issues. I understand that part. But if you're having this much complexity and drama and challenge, just meeting each other and trying to figure out if this is going to work, uh, that may be an indicator to pay attention to. You know, I I also think when it comes to faith that many of our students are looking for the most dramatic, powerful visual revelation you could ever conceive of <laughs> from a 10 commandment movie or something. Right. right. I mean,
1: they want, they literally want a, a, a revelation of a vision. They want an angel to come and say, yes, marry this person. Everything's going to be fine. And I don't think that the Lord works that way. He expects us to act and not be acted upon. He acts as, he expects us to use our agency to make wise choices and decisions.
0: Right. And, and I love what elder Scott said of move forward like like you just said, Janie, continue to move forward. And as if long the, as you're
1: feeling good about things, you know, yeah. and that the, all these things are in proper place.
0: And if the Lord doesn't approve of it or he needs to get you out of it, he'll tell you. He'll, But if all these indicators are there and you're happy and you're in love, and this is another fun thing I talk to my students about, but this is a super, I know I'm going off to the side here just for a minute, but I have to say it. We'll have a couple who's madly in love, super attracted to each other, happy, laughing hysterically together, and then they'll pray about over the relationship, and one of them will come back and go, uh, "You know what? Uh, Heavenly Father said no," and I, I'm like, "You're kidding me! This, this is not God, okay? I don't know where you're getting this answer, but I just can't think of a Heavenly Father." there's exceptions i understand that and maybe heavenly father if there's an exception he would have to come down and say actually this person is toxic narcissistic horrible going to prison whatever okay i understand those exceptions where he needs to convey that information but in 90 point you know 95% of the cases when a couple is happy and enjoying each other and see a beautiful life ahead as elder holland once said Heavenly Father is not going to go, you know what? No, you can't have that. He's the one that put them together in the first place is what my belief is. Anyway, so I just, I I watch students really struggle with this faith. So be full of faith, be full of hope, trust in the idea that Heavenly Father has put you together and move forward with faith. He wants
1: you to have a loving life. He wants all your hopes and dreams to flow together and for you to love each other and have a joyous, wonderful life. Exactly. (laughs) So go forward with faith.
0: Now, number seven is acceptance. And acceptance is the idea that we are not going to try to change our partner, that we love them as they are, and that we can accept them as they are. Hopefully they'll accept us as we are, that neither of us are perfect. And we understand that. But despite our weaknesses and our challenges, we still love that person no matter what. And I I know some people don't feel worthy to be loved, but you are. You are worthy to be loved. And I think that's one of the greatest signs of love is when someone can love us despite our challenges, despite our problems.
1: And that totally goes along. This is with this quote that I read, and I just love this. It said, love is when one person knows all of your secrets, your deepest, darkest, most dreadful secrets of which no one else in the world knows. And yet in the end, that one person does not think any less of you, even if the rest of the world does.
0: Well, that's so awesome. I love that. And too. that's what
1: you're looking for, right? In a marriage partner. <laughs> ah. That accept, that kind of acceptance and love. I agree. Number eight is future. What does your future look like? What do, we, we just talked a minute ago about hopes and dreams aligning and your number of children and what you guys see together as your future. And you want those to align. I think so many times people, once they get into the marriage, then they start talking about that. <laughs> and that's a problem.
0: Yeah. To discover, you know, once you're married that, oh, we
1: both aren't of, on the same page here. <laughs> yeah. Both of
0: you think you're going to graduate schools, one on the East coast, one on the West coast and having these careers, uh, one on the East coast, one on the West coast. And I've, these are true stories. I mean, I remember a, a student coming to me and saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just got my first job in Chicago. And I just found out that my fiance just got accepted to graduate school in Virginia. And we're basically going to spend the first three years of our marriage commuting to see each other because we both have kind of different dreams. And once again, not that that can't work, but it's certainly something you want to talk about before. But really what you're looking for, the indicator here is just Your goals and dreams line up. You're heading in the same place. And that's with how you serve in the church and build the kingdom professionally as a couple, your dreams.
1: How many children you want. You hear all the time about people that get in and then then all of a sudden the husband's like, let's have kids. And the wife's like, "Eh, actually, no, I'm going to go to dental school or whatever. Or, no, I just want one or I don't want any now. So
0: how does your future line up? That's a big one. Another another one is, number nine is improvement. And, and this is like, okay, how do you affect each other? Are you good for each other? Do you make each other better? You know, to pull a sports analogy, and that's one of my favorite statements that people would make about Michael Jordan is that he made everyone around him better. Do, you, do we make each other better, right? And, and I know that there's that great story, President McKay and George Q. Morris, talking about how do you know if this person is for you to marry... And George Q. Morris said, I'm not sure, but I know something my mom taught us boys. And uh, she said to look for someone who makes you a better person. And Janie, you did that for me. I mean, I know when I was around you early on in our relationship, and it's still true today, but I remember thinking, I just want to be good because she's good. I want to be be better than I am. So thank you, honey.
1: (laughs) Well, I was just thinking that is that you pushed me every day to be better, that you're constantly you know, encouraging me, teaching me, <laughs> and I'm kind of just riding your coattails on. <laughs> no, you're not, you're not either. I'm riding yours. <laughs> but that's good, right? For partners to push and challenge each other. I like that. I it. know.
0: I love that. The last one is sacrifice. And the idea is that if you're able to sacrifice for each other, uh, in fact, you don't mind making sacrifices for each other. You, you recognize that you probably need to do that to some degree and that you're willing to do that. I love, uh, I love this, uh, this concept that true love is built on the principle of sacrifice. Well, maybe we can conclude today with uh, some core doctrines and a story. You know, years ago, Elder John A. Widso of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles shared what he called in his book, Evidences and Reconciliations, five tests, so to speak, of true love. And the first one was that true love of man and woman always will include the love of God. I love the idea that, you know, living the gospel, keeping commandments and covenants is, increases our love and our capacity to love. Number two, he said that true love is founded on truth and honesty, and that lies and deceit are proofs of the absence of love. And there is deception out there today, and so we have to be aware of that. And is our love really built on, on truth? Number three, he says that true love would never intentionally offend or hurt someone. That's where you kind of look for the abuse cycle a little bit, where people are hurting us, coming back and apologizing, and everything's okay for a day or two, and then back to the back to the hurt again. Number four, love is a positive and active force. He said it serves and helps the loved one. And if there's a need, love tries to supplant it. If there's a weakness, love supplants it with strength. I love that idea. That's exactly what the Savior does for us. But in a loving, kind marriage relationship, we are trying to help and serve and build each other. And then my favorite one of all, number five, and uh, Elder Widso said, As good as all these tests are, there is a greater one. And here it is, that true love sacrifices for the loved one. And that's the final test. You know, I've always loved the wonderful story of Edward J. Wood and his wife, Marianne. Edward J. Wood was one of the founding fathers of the church in Canada, in Western Canada. He was uh, one of the first stake presidents in that uh, Cardston, Alberta area. And that was back in the day when you served as a stake president for like 20 or 30 years. And then he became the first temple president of the Cardston, Alberta temple when it was built, I think, in the early 1920s. But when Edward Edward was the President Wood was the stake president in Canada he had come down by train for general conference in Salt Lake City and while he was in the area during general conference between meetings he decided that he would go to the doctor and just have his throat checked out he had been he had had a cough that had persisted for some time and he was a little bit concerned about it and the medical care in those days was a little bit better in Salt Lake City than in their rural area where they lived. And so he did go to the doctor and shocked to him, he found out that he had throat cancer and that he would need to be operated on immediately. And credit to Edward J. Wood, who was just one tough human. Uh, he scheduled that surgery between general conference sessions because he didn't want to miss a, miss a meeting. He also had the surgery without any anesthesia, if you could imagine that, because he didn't want any complications from the surgery. And uh, that cancer was removed. He was patched up. He did get make it to his other conference meetings. And then on Monday morning or whenever it was, he was on a train back to Canada. He couldn't speak to any members of his stake that were also on that train. That was frustrating. He, he arrived home in that card area, and in the course of the next several weeks, He was not improving. He was not getting his voice back. And to be a stake president that could not speak was very frustrating to him. And uh, one day, his wife sensing that frustration, Marianne went into the Cardson, Alberta Temple to pray, not just for her husband's voice, but also for her hearing. At the same time, Marianne was going deaf, and she was concerned about that as well as you can imagine. As she was praying, in the unfinished, Carson Alberta Temple, an angel appeared to her. Which I love that part. An angel appeared to her, and how would you like this to happen to you? The angel appeared and said to Marianne, "We are considering your prayers." And then uh, the angel explained this, Marianne. Either you can have your hearing return fully, and your husband's voice won't return, or if you would be willing, your husband's voice could can return and be restored fully and you will lose your hearing now once again I know that sounds dramatic and some of you may hear that and think that is the weirdest story ever but we all I believe we all have personal customized tests and challenges in our life and this is certainly one of those Marianne chose to have her husband Edward's voice return and that she was willing to remain deaf Now this is a matter of record. In fact, the journal account that I'm quoting from is 39 years after this event, and Marianne was still completely deaf, but she was willing to give that up so that her husband was would be able to speak. And I love that story because it teaches the principle of sacrifice. How much do we really love the person that we're with? Now I don't think any of us will ever be required to do something that dramatic. And maybe we will. I don't know. I know that's pr- quite dramatic and, uh, and powerful. But at least we could all take from it the idea that true love is built on sacrifice. Are we willing to give up some of our interests and in the things that we love for someone else because we love them even more? And I think that helps us un- to understand what real love really is. And when you recognize that you're willing to do that from, for someone else, I think you could say, you know what, I'm definitely in love.
1: Yeah. And I know in our family, we always say this quote from Victor L. Brown, that only if you sacrifice for a cause, will you love it? So if you Mm. sacrifice for your marriage, you're going to love it. If you sacrifice for your family, for your children, you're going to love them even more. If you sacrifice on your mission, if you sacrifice in your church calling, you know, for whatever you sacrifice, you're going to love it. And I love that principle.
0: I do too. I think it's awesome. Well, and I know it's true because it's, it's exactly how love has grown in my life. And I know, Janie, for you as well. So with our invitation every week to Let's Do Something, we would invite you to share this podcast with someone else who's trying to make the marriage decision or to draw from some of these principles that we've mentioned today to help someone to recognize if they're in love. Anything along those lines that could bless someone's life Please don't hesitate to move forward on that. Well, it's been awesome to be with you today. We're grateful for this chance. and We look forward to meeting with you next time. And until then, have a wonderful day. See you later.